0: Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, but we're learning about the key steps toward Christian maturity. Key steps toward Christian maturity. You need to know these steps because God wants you to grow in Christian maturity. God doesn't want baby Christians. Parents, you want your children to get out of diapers eventually, right? And eventually you want your children to start feeding themselves. and. Okay, we got a couple over here. Eventually you want your kids to move out of the house and you want them to get their own lives. All right. Hey, but you know what? God is saying Christian maturity is when you are saying, I'm going to start living for Christ and I'm going to commit my life to the Word of God. And the Bible says, read it with me, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. 2 Timothy 2.8. That's where we're going to start. The key word right here is remember. Say the word manamanuo. Now it's not a little animal at the zoo. It's a word that says remember, to hold in memory, to keep in mind. You know why God says this? Because we forget about what God has done for us. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, God has done so many awesome things for you. And remember those time in the book of Acts, Timothy, how God did those miracles and he, and he raised the dead and he, and, he, and, he, and he cast out demons. You were there when God was doing all these miracles. And that's why he's telling Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead. Do you know why Christians complain? How many of you here are born complainers? Raise your hand. How many of you are uh, born positive people? Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to switch up the room. All the negative people and complainers on this side, all the positive people, and let's see if we can tip the balance here. No. Did you know that the reason why we complain in life, you know what it is? It's because we forget what God has done for you. We say, oh man, I don't make enough money. Oh, you know, I don't have enough money in my bank account. Or, you know what, nobody likes me. I don't have any friends. Or, uh, you know what, that guy is smarter than me and I'm not as smart as that. We complain and we gripe and we say, you know what, God, you haven't given me enough. Everybody in the world is getting blessed, but I'm over here in the back row and nobody's helped. How many sitting in the back row? Okay, well... You know what God is saying is that I have given you everything that you need in my riches in Christ Jesus, and I want you to remember this. That's the reason why we complain. Every single day that you complain is because you're forgetting what God has done for you. Paul is telling Timothy, remember, Timothy, what God has done for you to hold in memory, to keep in mind. Did you know that when Israel was, came out of Egypt, the nation of Israel, about two million Egyptians, the first thing they did was complain when they got to the the Red Sea there. they said, what? The the Egyptians are coming in their chariots right behind us, Moses, and we can see the dust, and and they're going to wipe us out and kill us. Why did you bring us out here in the desert to die? Couldn't we just stay in Egypt where we had leeks and onions and, and all those things that would have been better in bondage? But you know what God said? To Moses, part the sea, and I want these people to come through. And finally, they get to the other side, and they're happy for a little while. They, And they're, Oh, boy, praise God. But the first day, they start complaining. He says, wait a minute. We don't have any water. Moses, why did you bring us out here in the desert? Just to die of thirst. And what, What's your problem, Moses? You, you, you're going to try to kill us out. It was better in Egypt. At least we had something to drink. And You know what God does? He, he brings them water. Joseph, Moses tells them to strike the rock and... and He does it wrongly, but they they get their water. They don't have any food. Moses, we don't have any food out here. What are we going to do? Die of starvation? At least in Egypt we had all this food and good leeks and onions, and now we're going to die of starvation. And God provides manna. You see, what God does is He tells you that I'm going to provide for you tomorrow like I provided for you today. Last night you had a place to sleep. Last, this morning you may have, maybe you're not, you didn't have breakfast. I can hear some rumblings or people's stomachs growling. But you know what? God provides for you. And the problem with us is that we worry about tomorrow. What, when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow has its own problems. Just take, I'm going to provide for you today. And when the disciples got in, what happened was a miracle that when the disciples got into the boat and they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee, with Jesus, they started worrying about, where are we going to get food? When just moments before, Jesus fed 5,000 people. He fed 5,000 people from a few loaves of bread and fish, but they had forgotten. What God wants to do in your life is for you to remember every single blessing that he has done for you and stop complaining. The moment you complain in your life, did you know that complaining is sin? Because it's saying, God... I've forgotten all the good things you've done for me, and I don't believe you're going to provide for me. And that's not trusting God. So the key step right here, the number one key step, is remember God's promises. Write that down in your outline. Remember God's promises. Let's read this together. Remember that Jesus Christ, read it with me, of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And then he says the seed of David. Why is this so important? Because the promise to David was that the Messiah would come from the loins of David, that that the Messiah would come from David, and that David's inheritance and David's people would go on and on and on. God would not leave David's throne without an heir, without a king. And Jesus Christ would come from that inheritance or from that seed. So he says, from the seed of David. And the word for the seed of David, from seed, is just literally the word sperma. Family, tribe, or posterity. It's the word that just means that from this seed, I'm going to provide for you, King David. And so that's why when you read in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew or in the book of of Luke, you see that Jesus came from from David and from that posterity. This is the important thing to remember, that if God kept his promises to David, King David, he kept his promises to Israel, and he provided them with all the food in the desert. Don't you think that God's going to provide for your needs today? But you know what we do? Is we complain and we worry and we say, I don't know if God's going to provide for me tomorrow. When God says, wait a minute, am I not greater than anything that can come against you? Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And, and what can come against my elect? And that's what God is saying. You are my children, my elect. So from the seed of David. And then read with me this verse in Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So here it is in Jeremiah that he's prophesying that from David a king would come up. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, remember God keeps his promises. Did you know that God will never make a pro- uh, break a promise to you? He will never break a promise to you. In your life, there are people that have broken promises to you. And it hurts. And you've been disappointed. But God says, "I am the opposite." I'm the God that never breaks promises and I will provide for every single one of your needs. And I don't want you to worry about tomorrow, Timothy. I don't want you to worry here at Sarah Mesa Christian Fellowship. I'm going to provide for everything that you need in my riches in Christ Jesus. Don't complain and don't worry because that is sin and that is not trusting God. So what the Bible says here, the second key step toward Christian maturity is to know how to share the gospel. This is so important and a key step to growing in your faith. This is a key step because what God says, when you do this, you grow. And that's why the verse here, continuing, it says, read it, let's keep reading this verse again. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word for gospel is euangelion. Say that euangelium and that's how they we get the word angel the messenger and euon means good a good message a good word good news so the gospel is the euangelium of god and that's what we preach as a church that is the number one mission of our church is to tell people that jesus saves to win people to christ and that's why in 1 corinthians he says here read it with me moreover brethren I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. Did you know that we stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's nothing else that the church stands on. It's only the gospel, and that's why the the word for stand here is histemi, means to make firm, to fix, and to establish, to cause a person or a thing to keep his or its place. We stand on this foundation, on the gospel. That's what the church grows on. And and nothing can kill the gospel. People throughout history have tried to destroy the gospel. And Hitler, in fact, tried to burn all the Bibles. And and there was a time when, back in in ancient history, where people would, every time they they said there was Bibles, they would try to destroy that. But you cannot destroy the Word of God. The Word of God goes on, and that's why in your life you need to know the Word of God and how to share the Word of God, because what God says is that when you have the gospel preached from your lips, it multiplies. It multiplies, and that's what we stand on. That's why the gospel essentials, and this is so important, what the Bible says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Say that with me. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel in a nutshell, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is really essential because in order for you to mature in your Christian faith, you need to know how to share the gospel. If somebody talks to you and says, well, what does the gospel mean? You say, well, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Number two, and that he was buried. This is essential because the important thing is that even though Jesus was buried His body did not decay. His body did not turn to dust or was not uh, decomposed. He resurrected. And that's why it says and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Can you remember these three things? Because these are so essential. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. So essential that you know this because if you know these essentials, you know how to share the gospel. And when you know how to share the gospel, you're an effective, powerful tool of God to communicate the message that God has given to us. And that He was seen by Cephas, who is Peter, then by the 12. Who is Cephas? Peter. That's Peter. Yeah, that's Peter. Here, Peter, and it's so amazing that when Peter and John heard that Jesus had rose from the dead when Mary and the women said, hey, Jesus arose from the dead. They ran to the tomb and they ran just like a couple of athletes running to the tomb to see for themselves. And who got there first? That was John. Okay. John got there first. He was a faster track runner. And, And they looked inside and they saw Jesus was not there. But the cloths were folded, like the napkin, the, 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 the robe and everything was folded up neatly. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, just folded everything. How many of you don't make your bed in the morning? Okay. This is, a, you know, be neat in your house. We've got a couple of husband and wife pointing at each other. But you know what God says is that, hey, this is symbolic and that things are being prepared. Things are get ready because I'm coming. And after he had seen, was seen by over 500 people Brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. He appeared to Cephas in the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 witnesses. This is so critical, that Jesus had to be seen alive and in human body in order to communicate that he had risen from the dead in his physical body. Because you know what he did when Thomas and was not there in the upper room in the, uh, that, that room when they came, uh, appeared to the disciples. And, and then Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead until I see the nail holes in his hands and put my hand in his side and feel where the spear went into. I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead. Then miraculously, Jesus appeared in that room later on. And he said, Thomas, I want you to put your hands here in my hand. Nail holes. And Thomas, I want you to put your hand here on my side where the spear went in. And I want you to believe. And Thomas got on his knees and he said, My Lord and my God. And he called Jesus God because he believed that Jesus had truly risen from the dead just as the Scriptures prophesied and that Jesus Christ had, had come from uh, back to life and in his resurrected body. And this is really important to know. People, Because we're going to be confronted with cults that, prophet, that teach that Jesus did not rise from the dead bodily. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus Christ rose from the dead only spiritually, but not bodily. The Mormons teach that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but not bodily, but only spiritually. What separates a cult from true Christianity is what it says about Jesus Christ and especially about the resurrection about deity. Was Jesus Christ risen from the dead bodily? Yes, he was. He was he was that was his body that he was living those first 33 years. And the important thing is that you're going to be talking to people in many types of religions and faiths, but only in Christianity is where we find that Jesus actually conquered death and rose from the dead and that body that he was crucified in the essential thing here is to remember and this is why we find here the key steps toward christian maturity is to know how to defend the resurrection if you want to grow in your christian faith you need to know how to defend the resurrection because people are denying the resurrection all over the world they're saying well jesus christ did not really rise from the dead this is so critical That if you want to grow spiritually and as a a mature Christian, know how to say that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and how to defend that. And that's why getting back here to the same verse, read it with me again, sinking in. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, 2 Timothy 2.8. Raised from the dead. And the word raised from the dead, just literally what we're finding here is that it means confidence in the resurrection. God wants you to have confidence that Christ rose from the dead. He doesn't want you to waffle on this issue. As a strong believer in Jesus Christ, you need to say, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He conquered the, the grave. He arose in order to give me new life. And if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we would still be dead in our sins. And that's why write this down or it's probably but highlight this word but spiritual maturity circle that in your notes spiritual maturity grows with confidence in the resurrection spiritual maturity grows now easter is coming how many of you are going to invite a friend to easter service here april okay we're right a few of you aren't raising your hand yet but okay we're going to get 100% and there is, open up your bulletin right now, and there's a top 10 list inside. A top 10 list of 10 people you're going to pray for to invite the church on Easter Sunday. And these top 10 people you're going to write, just take the, the neighbor that gives me, take parks in my parking spot. I'm going to pray for that guy. Uh, I'm going to invite him to church. The, the guy at work that is that's giving me trouble, I'm going to pray for that guy, invite him to church. How many of you have somebody at work that's giving you a hard time? Okay, hey, that's great. We got 100% happy people at work. <laughs> I know, but you know what? You need to have that confidence. I know, Christine. You work at Olive Garden, and just we went over there to Olive Garden and had uh, happy people at Olive Garden, right? Okay. All right. So I mean, it was good. It was, you know. So we, what God wants you to do, Christine, is invite somebody from the Olive Garden and tell your your boss, Patrick. Patrick, the manager, I want you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I want to invite you to church on Easter Sunday because Pastor Louis is going to be giving this awesome Easter message. But the important thing is that God wants to come into your life, Patrick. Well, okay, you say it in a more milder tone. you just kind of... or whatever, whatever God does in your heart. But say this with me again. Spiritual maturity grows with confidence in the resurrection Nail this down in your Christian life. Know every facet about the resurrection. There were witnesses there that testified that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There was Thomas who put his hands in the nail holes in Jesus' hands. And he he was a witness to that. There were so many witnesses. There were people that actually saw the resurrected Christ and they said, this is truly Jesus with confidence. So the resurrection of Christ is really important. In verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, read this with me. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Did you know that Christianity would be worthless without the resurrection of Jesus? Without Jesus coming back to life, we would be here just like a social club. The only good thing about this place would be the good food downstairs, right? Because nothing else would be of value if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Now, some people come to church because they have many various reasons. But Jesus says that the reason why this church is here is because I arose from the grave and I conquered death and I want you to have life too. And this life only comes in the Son. It doesn't come anywhere else. Life, eternal life, does not come through Buddha. Eternal life does not come from Confucius. It doesn't come from Joseph Smith. It doesn't come from Muhammad. And in our day and culture, we have a lot of issues with different religions all over the world that are teaching false things. The only thing that is true, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God except through me. That that is a bold statement, and that's why people hate Christianity. They say, wait a minute, you think you're the only one going to heaven? Well, I go to this church, and who are you to say that you're the only one that, that knows God? And you know what you say? Jesus is the one that said this. Do you have a problem with Jesus? And that's how you declare your faith. Always point them to Christ. Well, this is what Jesus said. Do you have a problem with Jesus? And you know what? Most people say, well, I I, I like Jesus. I think that Jesus was a really neat guy. He was a good teacher and he said a lot of wonderful things. And he also said, I am the only way to God. Don't say that you're saying this. Always say Jesus said it. Let me show you where it says in the Bible in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God except through me. So, read this next verse. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. So, I said, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, deny Jesus' physical resurrection, therefore, they're outside of Christianity. We want to win Jehovah's Witnesses to Christ. Remember, make a friend with Jehovah's Witness, but you take the upper hand and always point them to the Word of God. Make a friend with a Mormon, but always point them to Jesus. They want to be their, your friend because they want to convert you to their faith, but their faith is, is an error because it's, it's, it's futile because Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead bodily. Our faith is based on a resurrected glorified jesus who conquered death and because he conquered death he says now to you anyone who believes in me i give you life freely so the next incredible thing here about this passage and the fourth write it down in your your notes the key steps towards christian maturity prepare for persecution when you live for christ prepare for persecution A lot of people when they come to Christ says, oh boy, I went to church and everybody was really nice to me. Well, just hang out for a few extra weeks, though. And you know, you come come to Sarah Mason and you find out that sometimes people come to church. I'm not gonna say grumpy, but okay. Not in our church. I mean, let's let's face it, we're human beings and we're and we're people that we want we want to serve God, but you know what? We're sinners and we're fallen. And that's why we get together as a family of God to pray for each other and to, to confess to one another and to love one another. And, but the important thing is here is to prepare for persecution when you live for Christ because there's going to be people outside of the church that want to knock your faith. And that's why 2 Timothy 2.9, read it with me. For which I suffer, this is the gospel, trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Say that with me. The word of God is not chained. So Paul is saying that I'm in prison because I was preaching the gospel. I'm suffering trouble. They're calling me an evildoer because I'm teaching something that apart from what their faith teaches. I'm teaching about Jesus, that he rose from the dead bodily. And even to the point of chains. And I love this where uh, the, the, the word of God is not chained. This is so true that you cannot take the word of God and hide it and say, I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Because you know what God does? If you don't speak up for God... God will take the rocks on the side of the road and have them cry out that Jesus is Lord. And and even I I really believe that that the trees will sing out. If If you don't share Christ with somebody, then God is going to take an inanimate object and say, tell that object, hey, Louis didn't do his job. Rock, you tell that guy about Jesus. Because that's what God does. He does, says, wait a minute, I'm not going to let my, my... The word of God is not chained. Paul, the apostle Paul, was there in prison and, and they tried to change him up, chain him up for preaching Jesus. Hey, kid, you cannot preach Jesus anymore. But you know what? The Philippian jailer was outside the cell right there and Jesus, Paul said, hey, Philippian jailer, Jesus loves you. And you know what? There was a huge earthquake and the earthquake rattled the, 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 the whole prison. And, and the gates of the prison, the, the cell doors went wide open. And Paul and Silas were inside the prison gates. And, 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 and the, the Romans, uh, the Philippian jailer, was just ready to stab himself. Oh no, everybody's escaped. The, the gates are open and everybody's gone. And Paul says, hey, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. And the Philippian jailer got on his hands and knees, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved and your whole household. And that night, his whole house was baptized, and they believed in Jesus, because the word of God is not chained. You cannot chain the gospel. And that's what I love about just yesterday, just going out to Ocean Beach and just proclaiming the gospel. And next Remember, the first Saturday of the month, build this into the, your, your calendar, get out your iPod your iPhones, and just write it in. First Sunday of the month, there what's going to be April, uh, May, what? Saturday, Saturday May. Saturday. First what did I say? Saturday. First Sunday of the month. Okay, that too. We can do that. Too. First, but the next Saturday, May, whatever it is, put it down in your iPhone and your, uh, your droid. Um, But what God is saying is that the DNA of the church must include the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the DNA, if the gospel, preaching the gospel at Sarah Mesa Christian Fellowship is not built into the DNA of the church, then we're, we're not really a church. This is We might as well fold up. But what God is saying is that you cannot chain the gospel. I'm going to make sure that my gospel goes out and nobody's going to hold it back. But I want to use you to be a proclaimer of the gospel. I want to use you... At, I'm start naming all your names right now, but God is saying, I'm going to have you tell people about my son. Because if you don't, then the rocks will do it. But God is saying is that I'm going to use Sarah Mesa Christian Fellowship to proclaim the gospel. And that's the powerful thing about the gospel, that he uses us to do that incredible work. So 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, all who, does, read it with me, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And this is so powerful. I know a guy that is a Christian at a job. I'm not going to tell you, he goes to our church, but I thought I'd just keep his name anonymous. But, no, not Justin. It's a different guy. (laughs) Well, it could be you, but. This guy, he he has to be at work early in the morning and he, and he was telling me, hey Louie, they're really giving me a hard time at my job and, because as soon as I get there at five, the boss doesn't get there until seven but the guys just sit and read the newspaper until the boss gets there at seven so they're drinking their coffee and reading the newspaper and, and uh, but I start work and they got mad at me because I'm not hanging out with them and they're making me feel bad because they're, they're saying, thinking that I'm going to tell on them because they're, they're continuing working and one of the, the guys came up to me. He says, Louie, and, and he cussed me out. He says, if you don't come out and sit with us, and he really just started yelling at me. And he said, you know what? All I want to do is my job. Since I became a Christian, I just want to do what's right with God and serve him. And I take my 10-minute break, and I, if you guys are going to do whatever you're going to do, do it. But I... I'm going to live for God. And they got mad at me, Louie. They started swearing at me. All the guys there at work are just really just upset with, because I'm, I'm just trying to live for God. And I told them, you see, if you're a Christian, you want to do the right thing. You want to live for God. But whenever you're Living for God, you're going to suffer persecution because ungodly people are feeling guilty and tormented because you are living for Christ and they're not and they're going to come after you and they're going to say hurtful and injurious things to you because they, they want you to be like them. And unless you're like them, they're going to think that, well, wait a minute, you think you're too good for us and they're going to get mad at you and they're going to persecute you. But God says, I want you to take a stand for the gospel. I want you to stand alone and I want you to live righteous for me. And even though they're naming names at you and they're swearing at you and they're they're insulting you and you could even lose your job, I want you to stand up for the gospel. And what God says, when you do that, I am glorified, and people are gonna come to Christ, even though you're not, even though they're gonna persecute you. But what God is saying is that when you proclaim my name and do the right thing. God steps in and does his part and brings people to Jesus. So the gospel grows in persecution. How many have heard of Arthur Blessed? Arthur Blessed, it was incredible. Uh, Yvonne and I lived in Costa Rica and we were staying there and we were teachers in Central America. And Arthur came in the town carrying a cross and he had just been to El Salvador and he told us a story how at that time in 1978 there were the Sanadistas and there were Samosa and all that going on and people were being beheaded. In fact, when we drove through Central America, they said, Louie and Yvonne, be careful because when you, we drove our little Volkswagen from San Jose, California the San Jose, Costa Rica, and, and so we had to go drive through Mexico, all the way through Oaxaca, down to Guatemala, you drive from Guatemala to Honduras, to El Salvador, then through Nicaragua, and then you end up in Costa Rica, but they said, you're not going to do that, are you going to drive through there, there's, there's people, uh, terrorists and, and Sanadistas and people that are going to try to kill you because anybody that's American, but we got down there safely, but Arthur, when he was down there, he was carrying the cross, and he was in at night with another friend and they were inside the RV uh, that they were in and, and there was this pounding on the door. And they dragged Arthur Blessed out of the... And Arthur Blessed is the man that carries a cross around the world. He tells people about Jesus, proclaiming Christ. And, and they, they had machine guns and they had rifles and, and they threw them against the, the RV and they said, uh, what are you doing here? And and they step back with their rifles, and they're ready to, to shoot him. And he went up on top of the RV on the ladder, and he was reaching for a box of, of Bibles. And he finally dragging them down and pulling them down. And, and, and he, but he gets the Bibles, and he, and he gets on the ground, and he's, and he's opening up the box of Bibles. And, he's, and they have the guns pointed at him, and he's taking out the Bibles. And all of a sudden, he hears... Or Mike Ooten inside the r v hears pounding like flesh against flesh and and Mike Ooten is so terrorized. In fact, we were talking to Mike and uh, the other man in, in uh, later on in a restaurant telling us the story and and, and he said when they were I heard that flesh pounding against flesh, and I knew somebody was being killed, and I was just so terrorized. I stayed in the r v but when I opened up the door, Arthur was there kneeling, and all those guys with their guns were on their backs and all strewn all over the place, just like a tornado had come and wiped them out. He said the only explanation were the angels of God had come and just wiped those guys out because they were attacking the man of God, Arthur, who was trying to tell them about Jesus. You see... Persecution cannot come against God's elect because when you're standing for God and when you're telling people about Jesus, God will use angels. He's going to use whatever it takes to protect you. Don't be afraid of your life because God is saying that I have you surrounded and protected with my love and, and nobody can come against you. The Apostle Paul was in prison, but yet the gates were open. You know what God is saying is that I want to release you from whatever is hindering you, whatever bondage. And if you're ever looking up persecution.com, go to persecution.com and you see story after story of pastors in China, pastors in El Salvador, wherever it is around the world that are proclaiming Christ and they're being put into prison because they announce that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. But whenever those people are persecuted, the gospel is magnified and it goes out even further. You can't chain the gospel of God. And that's why God has called us together here as a church is the, to know the Word of God, to know about the resurrection, to be mature in Christ, and to say, yes, I'm going to start telling people about Jesus at work, I'm going to, but I'm going to be a good hard worker, and when they come against me because I'm not cheating like them and I'm living for God, people are going to come against you. But what God is saying is that I'm going to use your life as a testimony for how the power of God working in you. Are you ready to do that today? Amen.